Welcome to another edition of Anglican Unscripted, episode 717. I'm Kevin Coulson. I'm George Conger. Today's February 11th, 2022. Welcome to another program of Anglican Unscripted. We're glad you could join us. As you know, you have responsibilities, and I don't want to talk about them a lot, so I just put them here on the screen. Pay attention. You'll see one that says like. You'll see the one that says subscribe. And those are just opportunities for you to give freely to Anglican Unscripted uh, your likes. It's like donating. What could I donate to Kevin and George today? A like. You know, when will he stop talking about this? I don't know. When I get around to it. Um, so please... Go to the comment section. A lot of great comments on our last couple episodes, and we appreciate that. Uh, the conversation does not stop when George and I click the stop button. It stops when you guys stop commenting, and you guys should never, ever, ever, ever do that. George, how you been doing? I'm just fine. My wife's off in Philadelphia to take care of some family business, so it's mm -hmm. just me and two dogs in the office today. Uh, we've been delayed in our start of our show because Julia saw somebody outside and has been protecting us. And while doing so, Jasper has stolen the one dog bed. So uh, we may have some ar arguments a little later in the show when Julius uh, re realizes he's lost the prime spot. In the room. Oh, no. So uh, another beautiful day here in Florida. The sun is shining. There's not a cloud out there in the sky. In fact, there's no wind. All the flags are just uh, lying flapping against the poles. So... Uh, it should be a good show, except one thing you probably don't have in Wisconsin or Maine or Washington today is pollen. Pollen is very prevalent today here in Florida, so my voice is like an octave and a half deeper. The nasal cavities are full of gunk, and that's you're just going to have to deal with that. We, we appreciate your patience. George, let's go here to the stories. I'm looking here. Um, we reported last couple episodes that there's going to be a conclave in South Carolina that has been postponed for what reason COVID who knows what reason um, so they, they're not able to get all the archbishops together archbishops bishops together and meet to discuss uh, church for the sake of others so we'll have to see what happens in the future with that um, I'm assuming there'll be another conclave because it wasn't canceled but it, it's really an important topic George I'm, I'm encouraged to see Archbishop Foley Beach calling a conclave Yep. Uh, it was scheduled for the after the consecration of Chip Edgar. Mm -hmm. And yes, no S in Edgar. Edgar, not Edgar's. Do we not know what unscripted oh. means? Come on. Yes. Well, we make those mistakes from time to time. Absolutely. And after the consecration, the bishops, the AC, and I were going to meet at Camp Christopher to thrash out of uh, the C4SO problem, the reform led by the Reformed Episcopal Church, but not exclusively. Some members of the College of Bishops are concerned about the theological underpinnings and tone of some of the work coming out of the C4SO mm -hmm. on uh, critical race theory, on human sexuality, other issues, and so. Foley Beach had called a meeting where he wanted at least 90% of the bishops to be there. And it was going to be a quiet meeting, conclave, no press, no reports afterwards. But basically to allow the face-to-face -face discussion of these issues rather than discussion through third parties like Kevin and George. Well, one of the biggest things well, that Well, I don't think they reached it... the 90% level. No, they, well, I don't know. 
one of the things I see is there's always that they mean well. You know, they're just trying to be a little bit more innovative. Just be patient. Um, they, they mean well. and They're not trying to do anything wrong here. Well, meaning well really uh, makes the doctrine flexible. And we don't want the ACNA's doctrine or the doctrine of the Anglican Communion to be flexible. Uh, the doctrine is well, a hard, solid uh, core principle of what we believe, George. Well, it's it's the it's the problem we're seeing. It's not restricted to the ACNA. It's part of the Episcopal Church. Yeah. It's part of the U.S. government. It's uh, we can be flexible when Antifa burns down federal court buildings and tries to assault the Department of Homeland Security. Yeah. Oh, you know they're just young. They, you know, we'll let them pass. Uh, you get a bunch of MAGA uh, types uh, trespassing, and they're treated as if uh, they're the Rosa, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Julius and Ethel Rosenberg. They're going to be executed <laughs> for nuclear sabotage. So, you know, we have unequal application of laws in the United States based upon your political orientation. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Anglican world, it's always been liberals get as much slack as they want. Uh, it's you're not allowed to have gay blessings or gay ordinations. Well, the Episcopal Church will go ahead and do it. And if the bishops are brought up on trial, well, they meant well. They did. Uh, yeah. The other direction, Bill Love doesn't follow a resolution. Mm-hmm. He gets hammered. You know. Well, uh, and so at in the end of the day, the Orthodox classical Anglicans are not allowed to mutually flourish within the church. That's just mm-hmm. that's what happens, you know. It, it's sad. Well, we see that in the church. We see that in the Church of England. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. uh, promises made are never kept to the uh, traditionalists. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Foley Beach is smart enough um, to realize that he has to be even-handed in this and not allow uh, the Anglican way of giving slack to the left and being hard-nosed to the right to overwhelm his church the way it's overwhelmed the Episcopal Church. I mean, look at the flack with the the dear gay Anglican letter. You know, meant well. The author meant well. The author didn't didn't even see the the issue until it was brought to his attention. So let's move on to some other stories, George. Um, You and I have discussed ad nauseum the problem with the definition of what a bishop should be doing and what an archbishop should be doing and there should be accountability within church. So when we see an archbishop and a pope doing what they're supposed to be doing, we will highlight it, praise it, encourage it here on the program. And it was announced by um, Archbishop Justin Welby that he will be going with Pope Francis to South Sudan to promote peace, to meet with the rebel leaders and try once again, well, I'm just being dramatic here, you know, try once again to bring peace to that nation which has just been gutted by and divided by war and riots and mayhem and I'm like okay cool this is what an archbishop should be doing George one slight correction it was Justin Welby who said this but it was George and Conger and Kevin Carlson who announced it Let's pat ourselves on the shoulder. (laughs) What are we talking about? (laughs) Well, on Sunday, Justin Welby was up in Belfast, uh, Northern Ireland, and he was giving a talk, an ecumenical talk, 
at the Catholic Cathedral in Belfast. And before the meeting, the Lambeth Palace Press Office released his statement. And we put it up on Anglican Inc. Well, um, we're about five, six hours behind the UK. And so the story was already out on the Archbishop's website. So I thought, well, let me just check the film because the venue had put this on YouTube. And, you know, so, and I was going to say, well, I'll make it really splashy on our website so that the YouTube, you could watch it. If So the three people, Mrs. Welby's, you know, you know, Mrs. Welby, his mother, could watch the video of the Archbishop. Well, I put it on, and as I was doing the editing work, I found that his re prepared remarks did not match his actual statement. Oops. And which was actually great for Anglican Inc., because we had a great story. And the only ones who reported this on the first few days was the Catholic Press and Anglican Inc. It's still not up on the uh, Anglican Communion news site. Well, what's the story? Welby went off the script and started speaking about his encounter with Francis in Rome in 2019. Welby and Francis have been working to bring peace to South Sudan, the two largest religious groups in South Sudan, the Anglicans and the Catholics. And so the, they're churches that do have a significant input into the life of that country. Well, they had brought the president of South Sudan, plus some rebel leaders, because they had going through a very terrible tribal civil war, to Rome. And Francis gave a little homily, and then Welby recounts how Francis, after his homily, knelt and kissed the feet of each of the five Sudanese leaders. And tears came into the eyes of these hardened guerrilla leaders, these military men, even the BBC cameramen. And Justin Well Francis at that time and at that place was just exhibiting Christian love and forbearance and forgiveness. Well, Welby said he and Francis have been talking, and in the next few months they plan on going to Juba, in capital South Sudan, to meet with the leaders of both sides to plea for peace. And this will be the first joint papal Canterbury visit ever. Where they're not where one is not visiting the other but they're going as brothers in arms of the christian faith on a full-scale visit to south sudan for the catholics and the anglicans but together this Which is, is wonderful news well it is it's wonderful because they're not just there to preach peace they were demonstrating it pope francis mm -hmm. demonstrated peace by kissing uh the feet of the leaders there these leaders only know one thing, war. They're, Sudan has been in, in generations of war. So when you, you see these leaders who are just, you know, thick-skinned, hard-hearted, um, had one person break through to them, that's demonstrating peace. And I, I just pray, and please, audience, pray uh, that this works. We, we need... Um, Christianity, we need Jesus, we need transformation to break out in Sudan again. Not just amongst the Anglicans and Catholics, um, but the, the peace and the promise of it needs to be uh, a demonstration where Sudan can be the demonstration for the world of what peace looks like. That's our hope. Indeed. So, good job, Pope Francis. Good job, Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby. Um, uh, next story. And I love talking about German theologians and German uh, uh, 
seminaries and now Roman Catholic Germans. It's it's obviously my favorite topic. You, the Lutherans have been liberal for a long time, but we're having some uh, foray into what the future of the Roman Catholic Church in Germany is going to look like. They got together and had a synod um, and put forth their ideas of what the Vatican should take up as doctrine for the future. And they discussed gay marriage. They discussed uh, a female diaconate, amongst other things. And I want to, in this kind of report we do, talk about the numbers. Because it wasn't a 51% vote, George. It was much more disappointing than that. Give us a story about Roman Catholicism, German edition. The Synodical Assembly of the German Catholic Church met in Frankfurt on Main for four days last week. Mm -hmm. And there are 230 members of their synod, 69 bishops, and then members of the Central Committee of the Catholic Church, were lay and lay ordained ministers, representatives of diocesan clergy, of nuns and monks, youth delegates, uh, representatives of uh, Catholic theological schools, seminaries, so on and so forth. So it's mostly lay people with the bishops, roughly third, a third, a third. Now, not all the bishops were there. Only 59 out of the 69 were present. But so much took place in this synod meeting that we didn't even cover all of it in our Anglican Inc. report because, you know, after a certain point, people stop reading and you can only have so much wowie zowie. Well, here are the things that this meeting voted on. And let me give you some of the things. The Synod voted in favor, and I'm going to read this so I get it right. They voted in favor of same-sex blessings, 161 to 34. They asked for a reassessment of the church teaching on homosexuality, 174 to 22. This is where Paul says that those who engage in homosexual behavior will not be accounted among those in the kingdom. Catholic Germans want that to be edited, fixed, you know, make it more appealable. They asked for the ordination of women deacons, 163 to 42. But the resolution says, now these deacons are not permanent deacons, but transitional, transitional yeah. deacons. So that these can women deacons can then become women priests and then women bishops. They asked that bishops allow priests current priest to marry and remain priests without leaving the priesthood, 159 to 26. And then some of the other things that we didn't even bother li listing because, you know, these are enough. They want to change the church's teaching on contraception. You know, right now you're not supposed to use contraception. They want to allow the church, they want to allow good Catholics to use birth control. And they want to rethink the church's position on abortion. Um, these weren't as developed arguments, so I didn't push them. But man, what a, you said, now the, the future, Kevin, you had a rhetorical question. Where's the future of the uh, Catholic Church going? Sure, yeah, Germany, yeah. Looks looks <laughs> like the Episcopal Church to me. I don't well, the, know about you. This is General Convention, uh, the Episcopal Church, 20 years ago, maybe 30 years ago, where people were allowed to bring up just the most strangest ideas and doctrines because there was a, a, a group of bishops says, well, this is going nowhere. 
And you had the fear and I had the fear that eventually it's going to go somewhere because they'll get the majority. But uh, you've had discussions with bishops who said, no, 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 no. Don't panic because it takes two general conventions for anything serious to happen in the Episcopal Church. Yes, but history, a short-sighted history of 40 years, shows us many bishops will act outside of general convention, not get in trouble, and then general convention will adopt uh, those practices vis-a-vis uh, -vis women clergy. That was never taken up by general convention until they existed. Uh, marrying uh, gay bishops, never taken up until they existed. Uh, you can go one stop, one stop, one stop, uh, all through the history of the last 40 years and find out innovative bishops in the Episcopal Church were never held accountable, and now chaos reigns at General Convention, George. Kookiness and chaos. <laughs> now, we're hearing these sort of arguments that I heard 25 years ago in the Episcopal Church. The German Synod they say, well, these are basically recommendations. This is the mind of the Synod. Mm -hmm. They don't get put into action unless three quarters or a supermajority. I don't know if it's two thirds or three quarters of the bishops approve it. And each of these had there only need 20 bishops to block this. And each of these votes had uh, more than 20 no's. So the argument is that, uh, well, this will die and won't go any further. And these are just people acting out. Well, we heard that in the Episcopal Church. Once the numbers of bishops chips away below the 20 mark, these will then be sent to the Vatican for action as mm -hmm. formal recommendations of the wealthiest church, not the largest, but the wealthiest church in the Catholic world. And the German Catholics, like their Episcopal uh, brothers, use money to get their way. Uh, in Germany, they have a church tax, unless you opt out and say you're not a Catholic or a Protestant or whatever, part of your income is sent to the church as a tax. And they have, I mean, this is where, the, the, remember there's a story about the Bishop of Bling, a German bishop who spent millions redecorating his private apartments because there's that money available. Um, and they use this to fund so much of the Vatican's activity, so money talks. So we're seeing um, a foreshadowing, I think, of major changes. And again, Kevin, the history of the Anglican world is that liberals don't get punished, only conservatives do for stepping out of bounds. Mm -hmm. we've, we've had reports about uh, an Austrian uh, priest marrying same-sex couples, who's the diocesan youth officer, and what, I think it's diocese of Klagenfurt. We've had uh, German uh, rumors of uh, women clergy being ordained surreptitiously uh, in uh, the German-speaking world. And it's the same path the Episcopal Church took. So, it's no different is, is this mean it going to happen this year? And at the end of the day, it's up to Francis. Yeah. But, if you if, but if you read the Catholic blogosphere on the traditionalist side, Francis is all on board for all of this stuff they claim. I would say to we some degree know. or another, he is, you know, but we don't know to what degree that is. Um, I, you know, what's it going to, what will the Pope, two Popes down from here, be making decisions on? Um, will there be a, a faithful Roman Catholic presence at that time? I don't know. Uh, all I do know well, is if you follow the history of the Episcopal Church, 
which is in complete shambles right now, uh, it's best to nip this stuff in the bud early on and hold people accountable. Just saying. George, the old next... joke is is the old yep. joke was is the Pope Catholic? <laughs> the old joke was is the Pope Catholic? And the answer is, of course, is the presiding bishop a Christian? The answer is no. <laughs> Not as we understand it. No. On to our next story. Uh, Patriarch Antonio has passed on, and a lot of you aren't going to know who this is. Um, and so George is going to tell us who he is because he was persecuted and held in uh, jail for a long time, and that's where he died, George. Antonius is the patriarch of the was the patriarch of the Eritrean Orthodox Church. Eritrea is a small country in the Horn of Africa that has a Christian majority, Muslim minority, but it is basically a military dictatorship. And when Antonius was consecrated archbishop and primate or patriarch in 2002, uh, yes, 2000. Yeah, 2000, well, whatever, 15 years ago. 15 years ago. I can't add. I can't add. He was immediately arrested and placed in solitary confinement. He's been in solitary confinement for 15 years, and he's finally died under house arrest. Now, it wasn't a prison. He was in a uh, house arrest, if you will, but still solitary confinement, unable to worship with others, unable to... He was in prison. Yeah. Um, this is real. This is the real persecution of Christians, where well, a man. Well, let's just define it. His freedom was taken away from him, and that is prison. That's persecution. Um, when you're not allowed to to worship as you want to worship, to pray as you want to pray, to um, study as you want to study, and to have fellowship with the people you want to have fellowship with, well, that's persecution. And we see this so many parts of the world these days. And I know it's silly to 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 sort of compare Antonius's uh, imprisonment to the rising in religious intolerance in Europe and in America, but it starts somewhere, and it you know eventually winds up with, with the jailing of ministers just because they're ministers. Yeah. Um, Eritrea has always been one of those countries, along with North Korea, uh, that and Iran and Afghanistan, where where the I think it's open doors. The people who monitor religious freedom say this is a horrible place for Christians. All right, so let's go to our headline story, which is the director of the Church Society calls for action. He lays out six possible options, including exclusion from the Anglican Communion, which is a change in direction from which the um, Church Society has been operating for a long time, George. And it's the number one story on Anglican.inc. We need to talk about it because uh, Lee uh, Gatiss, friend of Anglican Scripted, friend of Anglican TV, um, and a great leader of evangelism in the Church of England, says, ooh, maybe this isn't working after all something you know I've said a long time ago and it's something we need to talk about because this is kind of what GAFCON has been looking for this is what other branches of um, dissidents of the Church of England have been looking for support in 
their understanding of what's been happening down on the ground in the Church of England. And maybe there can now be an alternative for uh, the Church of England now that Lee Gaddis and others are on board, George. Yes, but I don't think they're on board the same train as some other people. No. Um, last week, Lee Gaddis released a video which we've posted on Anglican Inc. outlining uh, the video has a very dull title and actually it would lead some people when they clicked onto it to think these were arguments in favor of changing the church's teaching on homosexuality. No, far from it. And so we ran an, expl 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 an explanation story which sort of goes into what he's saying that was written by Chris Pierce. And Gaddis lays out six uh, six steps the Church of England can take. And this February 3rd video says, step one is complete, full acceptance of gay marriage in the Church of England. Uh, basically, having, uh, uh, giving the be exactly what they want. Step two is a pastoral accommodation, meaning we don't really change uh, the doctrine on paper, but we say we're not going to marry, but we're going to have a pastoral response and bless sort of the fudge approach, which was one of the steps the Episcopal Church went through. The third is the status quo, and the status quo is pretty bad, where clergy are forbidden from entering into gay uh, civil partnerships, but it's okay for lay people. And the fourth is no change in doctrine and the enforcement of proper discipline so that people would uh, uh, basically be lose their positions in the church that the man just appointed if you will to be the archbishop to be the crown nomination committee secretary the man who basically picks the arch the next bishops he is in a gay marriage uh, performed in edinburgh by the scottish episcopal church he would be lose his job because he is uh, promoting and teaching and living out a theological position at odds with the stated doctrine and discipline of the Church of England. The fifth is uh, in no doctrinal change and basically taking this discipline internationally, saying to the Scots and the Welsh and the Episcopal Church and the Anglican Church of Anglican Episcopal Church of Brazil, no, we're out of fellowship with you guys because you have adopted these innovations contrary to the mind of the wider communion. And the sixth step that Gaddis says is no call to change. Uh, scam likely, excuse me. Scam, it's probably Justin. The sixth is no doctrinal change, enforcement of discipline, cracking down internationally, and calling for repentance. Not just saying live and let live, but actively teaching what the Bible says. And Gaddis's argument is that if we have one or two, basically the game is over. It's over immediately if we have one. Mm -hmm. The pastoral accommodation will naturally lead to, to full acceptance. Yep. And if we just continue the status quo, it's going to be undermined from within because there will be bishops just like in the Episcopal Church who will do what they want to do and nobody's going to do anything about it. So one, so two, and three would lead 
to destruction here. Not just one and two. Eventually. Eventually. Immediate destruction, destruction up that we can see in the future, mm -hmm. and an untenable uh, truce that's not going to hold very long. Right. And then there are four, then there are three options for basically adopting the conservative line, which is proper discipline, internally proper discipline internationally, discipline, discipline, and an active call and teaching ministry to repentance of a form of life that is contrary to the Gospels. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that those who live and engage in homosexual conduct will not be counted among those found in heaven. And, you know, essentially, uh, are the, is, is the church going to give up on the Bible? And fully accommodate itself to the cultures. Are we going? Is the Church of England going to follow the German Catholic Church? Is it going to follow the Episcopal Church? Now, coincident, and we know where Gaddis is coming. He's coming down on the M3, sure, which is a bit of a move because the Church Society had long preached status quo. Let's fight from within, and we can change. Well, we're seeing a lot. We're seeing strategic defections. Um, the even. The evangelical side has been deeply, deeply wounded by the Smythe and the Fletcher issues. And we're... Uh, well, and the Ang Anglo-Catholic side is already, does, does barely exist. They have no leadership, and uh, so they've, they've certainly had a falling out on this. But George, I think Lee missed one here. Between one and three, and between... Uh, four and six, right there in the middle, uh, call it 3A, should be mutual flourishing. We could be a church where people who disagree with this conduct um, have their position and their fellowship and their friendships, and people who want to promote and have gay marriages will have their fellowship and their churches and their bishops. We'll have a gay bishop. You already have gay bishops. We'll have straight bishops. We'll have flying bishops. We'll have mutual flourishing. What could go wrong, George? That's, that's got to be the answer here. In a perfect world where you have divisions over, deep divisions over doctrine and discipline, such as, as what takes place at Holy Communion, okay. transubstantiation, consubstantiation, Real Zwinglian memorialism, yeah. all this and that. Um, the uh, uh, I have to stop for a sec. Are you hungry? Because I'm hearing these growling noises from <laughs> you hear that? So yes. Jill has Friday off and she goes, well, I'm going to start the dishwasher. No, 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 no. That's too close. Well, then I'm going to do laundry. Oh, no problem whatsoever. Go do laundry. Well, in an RV, uh, when it hits the spin cycles, <laughs> I'm trying to hold the laptop straight. And, you know, nobody's going to notice that the spin cycle's going, you know? It's, it's a oh, little I different. Thought, than, <laughs> I thought you were hungry, Kevin, because no, I no, heard no. these noises, that I, these grouse. So no, forgive me, what, folks. We don't have a closed studio. And, you know, we have to deal with recording with life happening. Uh, sometimes George gets an emergency call. He has to take it. Uh, sometimes I get a, a sometimes I call. get a spam call. That's <laughs> <Yes>, right. <laughs> yeah, that's just life. Oh, that's uh, that's RV life. And so this is the first time she's pulled the wash machine thing during a, a taping. I'm going to say no next time because I know when I'm editing, I'm going to have to use the uh, take out background noise filter on Final Cut Press to uh, to make sure that people only see this. They don't see the hear it. 
So, oh, George, life in the RV. So, but back to, <laughs> no, it, yeah, well, back to League Le- Addicts and, and the his thoughts here. I'm going to say if the Church of England over the last 20 years has put out three or four different reports and they keep having to put out more reports and more commissions and because if they don't answer the way the LGTB people want it, they got to go back to the drawing board. It wasn't good enough. No, we had a great theological paper put out here in 2008 and 2009 on this. wasn't good enough. wasn't good enough. We need to do it again. We had the Windsor Report. Nah, not good enough, you know. Nah, let's let's keep trying. So if this isn't the report that the LGBTQ people want, it's back to the drawing board, or let's give them a little bit, George. Let's just give let's have let's give them a little bit. And at the same time as this came out, the Church of England Evangelical Council released a statement saying that if the uh, LLF, uh, I always have to look up what it means, living in love and fellowship or faithfulness whatever mm-hmm. what to do uh, you know how do we go forward on gay marriage the church of england evangelical council which too also up until recently has promoted they stay and fight within as saying if we go down this road to apostasy we have to reconsider if we're going to be in around so the question i have kevin is why do you think the church society and the church of even england evangelical council has all of a sudden What's happened to make them realize that uh, things have reached a point where they have to be this clear? Well, there's two choices. One, they caught up on the 700 episodes of Anglican Unscripted, or they're starting to to see that there's just no way forward other than the quagmire. You know, they call it the status quo. It's not the status quo. The status quo here is losing uh, because you look at the practice, not just the position. Yeah, the doctrine's fine, but look what the Church of England is promoting within. And all you see is middle management. You have gay bishops. And if you have a gay bishop, you can have a Brexit bishop. And if you can have a Brexit bishop, you can certainly have a COVID bishop. If you can have a COVID bishop, well, you could probably have an airline bishop. And if you can have, there's just no end to middle management. To, to, I think they need a Starlink bishop. You know, and so there's just no end. And an internet bishop. There's just no end to the amount of bishops you can have once you start to go down this middle management road. And if you're, if you're the church society, if you're the evangelicals in the, the church of England, you're like, it's lost. Every priest who cannot operate a parish, who is a destruction since they left seminary, must be taken out of the parish and put somewhere at the middle management bishop level. That's why we have COVID bishops, George. And uh, our, our last story is talking about uh, what a real well, bishop uh, should do, but it's crazy. Let me sort of circle back around again um, mm-hmm. and sort of talk about what I'm hear what I'm hearing. Um, one of the things I've noticed is that the opposition, the liberals, have become harder and harder and harder and nastier and nastier and nastier. Once upon a time, I could sit down with Colin Coward, who was then one of the leaders of the lay and lesbian Christian movement, and we could have a wonderful evening chatting, having fun, this and that, mm-hmm. uh, at these events. If you read some of Colin's uh, recent writings, it's that if you don't agree with us, you should get out of the church. 
uh, one of the most extreme person of consequence in the Church of England on this issue is Jan o Jane Ozan, mm -hmm. who in some of her recent writings is basically threatening criminal prosecution to those who pray for those who wish to be delivered from same-sex orientation and attractions, who seeks who, you know, some of these people like Ozan who believe in a witchcraft of forms, that words have a magical power that uh, I can say this spell, and if I say uh, he instead of they or misgender somebody, I'm committing a thought crime, which is well, just as bad as a physical crime. The, and Jane, this culture Jane, war crap is coming to the church. It is, but Jane's biggest problem is prayer does work. Not magic mm -hmm. prayers, not magic work. But they would never, ever, ever complain about the prayers if they didn't work. And you and I, we know people, we've heard the testimonies of those who came for help for same-sex attraction and were delivered. We also know those who came for help and were not delivered. You know? oh, Kevin, I, I, I agree with you on, on part of what you say, but I also would argue that she would still complain even if they didn't because they seek to control all thought. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and yes. they seek to destroy what they consider bad thought. And I think the people in the Church of England are working up to the fact that on the conservative side is that the opposition is getting nastier and nastier and nastier, and if you only listen to what they really are saying about you, they don't want you to flourish. They don't want you around. No. Um, and you have to then start thinking, well, what do we do in these circumstances? Now, neither the CEC or the Church Society have said, okay, then now we're all in on GAFCON and AMA. Nothing like that has happened. But they seem to have a, well, here's one of the little inside tips, whether it's true or not, I'm not certain, that, uh, oh, it's a wonderful washing machine. I can tell you, Kevin, the noises we're hearing over the, computer are just fantastic but um no uh, i think it's done i think it's done now that was the final gulp gird of the, the washington the archbishop of york stephen cottrell is is emerging as the man behind the throne the man with the power in the church of england hierarchy welby within the church world is shoddy goods he shot his bolt Think of all the little truisms, analogies you want to say. Mm -hmm. But Welby is not the force that he once was. He's ridiculous. Cottrell is the one given the responsibilities for the main things for the future, um, the various processes. The head of the CEC, the new head of the CEC, comes out of Chelmsford Diocese. And so he was there when... Uh, Cottrell said, if you don't like it, leave. Cottrell is denied saying that, but he said it in front of the clergy and, you know, he's denying it for PC reasons, but they've heard it before. And so the man who's moving fastest up the ladder, Cottrell, who's basically now pulling the strings, has basically already said, we're going to get you. And what I think we're going to see as an intermediate step is I think we're going to see the resurrection of the third province argument. We've got Canterbury, we've got York. We're going to have to have a third province outside of the current diocesan structures and systems for those who cannot go along with the, the trajectory of the national church hierarchy. 
And part of the not outright condemnation of this new plan that Welby is putting out, which you mentioned, Bishop for Brexit, Bishop for this, Bishop for that, getting rid of a lot of dioceses, merging and amalgamating and consolidating and having basically numerous archbishops over regional areas and this and that. It's if you're going to redo the whole structure of the church, that's now is the only time that you're going to be able to get a third province, which with its own clergy, its own seminaries, its own prayer books, this and that and the other. And so my take, if you will, sense is that the CEEC, the Church Society, and some other conservatives see an opportunity in the chaos. Perhaps it's a good thing that Michael Nazarelli and the old leadership are gone, that Fletcher uh, has destroyed the old leadership's credibility in the evangelical movement. New voices are arising. Lee Gaddis, who's younger than we are, is now a person of significance. The CEEC people are rising up and the old guys who were the, sort of keeping a lid on things saying, just play the game, play the playing, play the game. Four of them have gone to the Catholic church in the last year. Others have retired. Others have not wanted to fight anymore. So it's next, so the next generation is rising and they see their opportunity to strike. Well, Welby's weak while Cottrell is trying to uh, cons- take away as much power as he can within the church institutions from Welby and his team, now's the time to come in and strike their deal. It's amazing. Yeah, Yeah. I know. It's amazing to see how many pensioners, once they retire, want to move on to the Roman Catholic Church. They don't, they don't, they don't leave before they get their pension, but well, here's the funny (laughs) thing. If the, uh, the English Catholic Church is not as advanced as the German Catholic Church on some of these issues, but there's a good segment of the English Catholic Church that despises these Anglican converts. They look at them as being people who are going to wrest the church away from them, their complete control. So it's not only great grass is not, if you, if you truly believe the doctrines of the Catholic Church, uh, the specific doctrines that they alone should have, then by all means, go there. But if you're doing it because the grass is greener, friends, it's not any greener <laughs> no. on that side of the fence. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, not just for the stuff we report, but also for the stuff we don't report. But uh, let's move on to our final story. And this whole episode, seven said 17, has been about bishops in the Episcopacy and what doesn't work and what's not working. I want to talk a little bit about good bishops once in a while and we have lots of lots of we have several good bishops in the uh, acna my bishop uh, i consider to be a good bishop because he's always calling uh the priests that are under him i'll be trying to have a conversation or meet with my my priest or whatever and it's another phone call from his bishop just saying hey I was thinking about you. How you doing? How's your wife? How's your family? Did you ever solve this family issue? That type of thing. Good communication between uh, the bishop and the priest is essential uh, for a healthy diocese. And you put up a obituary of Bill Fowle, who is a former bishop here of uh, Central Florida, and you put uh, links to it on Facebook. And I'm watching clergy who were under him say, he used to call me all the time. And I'm like, ah, we got another good one. Let's talk about uh, Bill Fowler, George. 
Bill Falwell was bishop from 1970 to 1989 at the Diocese of Central Florida. Now, he was a creature of his time. He was against women, bishop, uh, women clergy at the beginning. He then flipped and he then was for it towards the end of his time. And he had some fights with a few clergy who wouldn't accept his change. So I'm not saying the man's perfect in all things. Yeah. But what Bill Falwell did, I'm told, because 89 was before my time as a priest, Bill Falwell made a habit of calling each of his clergy at least once a month. Now, wasn't to check up what was attendance on Sunday, how you, you know, what was collections, but rather, how are you doing? What's going on in your life? What can we issues? If you know, if the issue was church, he'd talk about church. If the issue were your children, he'd talk about his children. Bill Falwell was a pastor to his priests. Uh, since 1989, there's not been a bishop like that in Central Florida. I, uh, you know, when I was paralyzed, for those who watched our show early on, remember me yeah, and our sure. neck brace? Mm -hmm. I was hospitalized and in a nursing home, and I had a miserable time for a long time. I never got a call from uh, John Howe. Uh, I got a, I got a very from the can of the ordinary. Sure. But, uh, you know, I... I see my bishop, current bishop, once every three, three and a half years when he comes to visit, and from afar at diocesan convention. You know, that the last two bishops here have not really been pastors to all the clergy. Um, they they do have a, a different. They have other skill sets, but other skill sets. Yeah, John Howe was a very orthodox man wonderful preacher greg brewer is an orthodox man again a very good preacher and musician uh but neither would i say were they touchy-feely pastoral types now that's a that's a derogatory way of describing it well of uh, people uh, people people in defense were their bishops touchy-feely you know I, I i don't ever want to pin this well you weren't touchy-feely they just never learned what it means to be a good bishop other than well i guess i have to i have to protect the church against erroneous doctrine yes yes you do no, absolutely that's one of your jobs as as a bishop i need to uh, uh be there for confirmations and baptisms and and keep the, the system going yes that's that's another thing but you all you need to be uh the the senior pastor senior clergy senior uh um person of, of this diocese who's going to be always communicating and loving and knowing what's going on in the lives of your priest uh, that's kind and of your this, flock here yeah and this really doesn't have that much to do with theology mm. P peter selby is the former bishop of worcester in the church of england and he's as left as they come um but he was renowned for being a kind caring compassionate uh, a pastor to his clergy of all stripes. Uh, Keith Ackerman mm -hmm. uh, in the Episcopal Church and John Guernsey in the Anglican Church of North, North America. Sure. Here we have a liberal, an evangelical, and an Anglo-Catholic. And there are others I don't wish to, by omission, I am not criticizing. No. But here, here are three people who have a wonderful reputation as being genuinely interested and praying for and with their clergy. And I didn't know Bill Falwell, but I really do wish, uh, I don't wish I was older, but I do wish that uh, that sort of tradition 
were kept alive in the church. Because well, what we're seeing right now with this management culture nonsense, that's not going any. That's being almost derided. It is. Because would, uh, my, would my climate change bishop ever call me? I doubt it. Bishop, my brother. Gavin Ashenden yeah. has a little anecdote, which I'd love to repeat. Um, and so I'm going to steal it from him, but it does star Gavin Ashenden. <laughs> Gavin was uh, headhunted uh, as a younger man for the Episcopate and for being the uh, person who sort of trains and looks out for higher office dealing sure. with bishops. And one of the things he was asked is, uh, what would the first thing you would do uh, when you know once you were bishop? He said, I'd have a, I'd have clergy over to my house, have cocoa or tea, and sing Christmas carols, or uh, things you know. And the, the interviewers look, the interviewers looked at him like, you, you're a loon. I mean. This is not what a bishop does. A bishop is on committees. A bishop writes reports. A bishop talks to other bishops. He doesn't have people in his house and sing Christmas carols or Gilbert and Sullivan uh, and drink cocoa. And of course, Gavin didn't become a bishop in the Church of England because they don't want his sort, I guess. Touchy but, feeling. Uh, they don't I, like touchy feeling. Or pastoral or fathers in God. Uh, they don't want that. No, indeed. All right. I think we've talked this subject uh, to death here. We're going on 50 minutes. Uh, now, I'm going to be available Tuesday. What's your schedule look like, George? Get our calendars I'll out. I'll be here on Tuesday. All right. Good, 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 good. Uh, Kevin, I do yeah. want to say. Hmm? Oh, sorry. Never mind. <laughs> Washington's birthday is the 22nd. And I still am not over the fact that they combine Lincoln's birthday and Washington's birthday to make President's Day. Yeah. Because there are some presidents that I'm not going to celebrate as a holiday. But I, but I still want to take off Washington's birthday and Lincoln's birthday, which is oh, tomorrow, by the way. <laughs> it is. Hey, little trivia for you. Don't Google it. But if you know it, go to the comments and tell me which presidents died on July 4th and which presidents were born on July 4th. I'm Kevin Coulson. And I'm George Congan. You've been watching episode 717 of Anglican Unscripted.